Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this is the Transporter Room. The intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And it's been an eventful week, and yes, we thought it was going to get locked out, but yes, baseball is back. And the Texas Rangers are having a pride night, sort of. Ken Schultz has the inside on that, and it's in Out Sports right now. Link will be in the liner notes. The WNBA draft was Monday, and with the first-round pick, Kentucky's Ryan Howard becomes a member of the Atlanta Dream. Also, there was a Brittany Griner update at the draft. WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelberg said in a press conference prior to the draft that, quote, this is an unimaginable situation for BG to be in. She continues to have our full support. Certainly, we're trying everything we can, every angle, working with her legal representation, her agent, elected leaders, the administration, just everybody in our ecosystem to try and find ways to get her home safely and as quickly as we can. In college basketball, out and proud Yale head coach Allison Guth took the head coaching job at Loyola Chicago last week. The Ramblers are joining the Atlantic 10 next season. Sid Ziegler had something up in Outsports on that. And Ziegler also had a story on Michael Sam, who returns to football as the defensive line coach with the European League of Football's Barcelona Dragons. Sam was the first out player to be drafted by an NFL team in 2014. Alex Reimer had a revealing story on the article in Variety on Magic Johnson on the adjustments he made in coming to terms with his son EJ coming out as gay. That was an excellent article by Reimer, and it's also an excellent article in Variety. Check them both out. We'll put them in the liner notes. And this week, the tally of states who have anti-trans legislation grew. Alabama, they passed three bills in one day. But before those bills went through, one person fired a parting shot. And I want to recognize this person. His name is Neil Rafferty. He's a Democratic representative from House District 54. It's a district in Birmingham. Now, Rafferty is a gay man in Alabama as a representative in the legislature. Gay Alabama elected official. That's about as unlikely as seeing Nick Saban singing War Eagle. But after the vote on Senate Bill 184, which bans affirming health care for transgender youth in the state, Rafferty essentially turned over the tables on the anti-trans money changers in the legislative temple. Listen to this. Tell, put a target on children's backs. Put a, children, put a target on the parents' backs. And once again, get in the middle of their decisions and say, you don't know what's, you don't know what's best. You'll know what's good for your kid. You'll know what's best for your family. Where's freedom in that? Where's small government in that? Please, I'm begging y'all. All right, I'm not begging. You're right, I'm not begging. You're right, I'm not begging. What's gonna happen is gonna happen. Just don't you dare. Call me a friend. 
I happened to catch up to Representative Rafferty on Twitter, and I just said, you, sir, are a badass. His response, I'm just a truth teller. And verily I say unto you, he told a powerful truth. And that leads me to our interview segment this week, and we're going to do something a little bit different. But to get to it, there's some backstory. And some of that backstory comes from a pet peeve of mine. You see, just in the last couple days, two of the biggest, most influential newspapers in this country ran articles from trans people. Trans people who essentially are backing up those who want to cut off access to affirming health care for trans youth. One of them is a woman named Corinna Cohn. Corinna Cohn's about my age, and she's an officer with the Gender Care Consumer Advocacy Network. And she had an op-ed in the Washington Post. Now, Cohn is about my age, give or take a year or two. She transitioned when she was 19, and she talked about how her life and how her journey's been since then, and, and essentially she feels disillusioned. I'm going to link this story, link her story in the liner notes. And don't get it wrong. I 100% respect her perspective. She knows her life better than me, and I don't begrudge her experience. But what I do begrudge is the indifference by the media towards everyday transgender people who saw their decision through and they didn't look back and they're happy about it. Granted, there are stories like a Corinna Kuhn. There are those like Erica Anderson, who is, who is trans. She is a healthcare professional. She's a doctor, and she's known to be antagonistic to affirming care. She was also a part of that 60-minute story last spring that started off to be affirming care, was sold as a story about affirming health care, and it ended up being about two minutes on affirming care and 10 minutes on detransitioners, which seems to be antagonistic cisgender people's favorite topic to talk about. Now, both of these articles are an example of how it seems that the media often wants to highlight anything that would place trans people in a bad light, whether it's medical care or whether it's sports. And in doing this, I get a lot of things from cis people, usually around one word. You have all these biological males on this program like that fallen fox. You know she ripped out someone's cerebral cortex. This is a lot of woke nonsense. This is not about transphobia. It's about fairness for women. I want to hear from women, not from biological males who are no better than those East German drug cheats. The nerve of you, Carly Webb. This is yet just another example of the liberal agenda running amok. If we don't stop these transgenders now, they're going to turn your little boy into one. I'm telling you, we got to stop them and make America great again. If you let these biological males in sport, there'll be nothing left for the real women. This woke agenda has gone way too far. It's gotten out of hand. This transgenderism is getting ridiculous. I'm here to tell you, I've said it a million times, facts don't care about your feelings. It is imperative that we keep those biological males out of women's spaces. Think of the children. 
in that little clip, you hear bias. Whenever it seems, you know, it seems to be almost biblical that wherever two, or wherever one or more transgender people are gathered together to talk about their reality, a cis person shall always accuse them of bias. Now, I do a podcast. I make appearances here and there. You remember I was on Dan Abrams' show on News Nation not too long ago. I've done Phoebe Rose's podcast. I've done Najee Ali's excellent podcast, Crossing the Lane Line, talking about Leah Thomas. I was on End of Sport. I've been a part of the Transatlantic Call-In Show with Arden Hart and Katie Montgomery twice. And by the way, Arden Hart was on the Owen Jones podcast last week, along with Arthur Weber and Felix F. Firm, talking about the transatlantic war on trans people. And one thing I noticed in the comments, because I am a regular with Owen Jones, I and Owen, by the way, um, we're going to link that podcast that ran this past Sunday, and I'm going to link that in the liner notes. And Owen, you have an open invitation to be beamed up to the transporter room. Anytime you want, you let me know. I would love to sit down with you. And also one note, though, Owen, there are black and brown transgender people. Once in a while, Mix us in when, you, when you're talking about trans subjects. Hashtag just saying. But throughout the comments there was, where are the cis people? Where are the cis people? Why are there no cis athletes? Why isn't there balance? Why isn't there both sides? Now, I find it interesting that the same people who, who chirp about both sides are silent when it comes to articles like the LA Times article on Erica Anderson, or Ms. Cohn's op-ed in the Washington Post. Or other media interviews like these. It's, it's funny this, isn't it? We never hear of women becoming men going into boxing, do we? You don't. Oh, by the way, Richard Taylor, there is a transgender man in boxing. His name is Patricio Manuel. So, firstly, you don't know what you're talking about. And secondly, if you really want to see that fight, get on the phone Call some flyweight who needs a fight in the UK or anywhere else if you know someone and let them know that Patricio Manuel hasn't had a fight in two years since he won his first fight. And he'd like another fight or two. So call your boy. Have him call Patricio. Let's see if we can't get something started. And if it's not people like Richard Taylor, it's the same voices that always seem to get a platform to run their transphobia. Case in point, an ex-swimmer turned uber turf. Check it out. But trans men are females, trans women are males. Okay. That's the truth. Whether you like it or no, that is the truth. So trans women may be a trans woman, but she's a male. Yep, you guessed it. Sharon Davies, British Olympian, silver medal winner in 1980, who continually blames trans people for East German drug cheats. Sharon, it's been 40 years. Give it a rest, huh? But that leads me to our special interview. And this comes from a show I did in January. I got a call from a podcast host in Denmark named Maya Kalka Lawrence, and she is a cybersecurity expert who runs a podcast called Cybernome. And Lorenzen was working on a special series on gender criticals, terse, transphobia, and was doing a unit on sport. And she asked me for an interview. I gave the interview, and the next thing you know, that led to me meeting Nadia Jacobson. Now, Ms. Jacobson is 
a volleyball player in Denmark who's out, trans, proud, and at, and at the Pride Games last year in Copenhagen, she was part of a co-ed team that won a gold medal. And that led to an appearance on the Transporter Room in January. We got together again for a special segment on a program called Talk Town, which is part of a coming conference in Denmark on women's rights, feminism, and its intersections. Maya was the moderator for a conversation with Jacobson and myself in a virtual global audience on the issues of trans inclusion and participation in sports and the controversy it breeds and why that controversy is largely ginned up hysteria. Here's some excerpts from that conversation. So welcome to this digital salon hosted by TalkTown. And if you don't know what TalkTown is, it's a Copenhagen-based feminist festival that takes place once a year in Copenhagen. And we invite people to come and do workshops and talks on feminism and equality. And this is a digital salon um, that we've invited to because the debate about uh, transgender athletes in general and trans women in professional sports in particular has grown a lot uh, in media across the world within the last uh, couple of years. And we've seen this debate getting quite heated in Denmark too. So therefore we decided to invite two women who know a lot about this firsthand and have a lot of expertise to come and share that with us. <laughs> Hello. Uh, first of all, I would like to welcome my two guests. So Carly, you are uh, up on the big screen here. Can I get you to introduce yourself first? Good evening, everyone. My name is Carly Chardonnay-Webb. My pronouns are she, her. And mainly, I'm a sports journalist. I have, I've been a sports journalist now. I'm celebrating my 28th year in the business. I'm currently a contributor to Outsports.com, which is considered to be the world's largest source for LGBTQ news pertaining, from, pertaining to the world of sports. And I've been a contributor for the last three years. I'm also now a training coordinator and staff peer support specialist for Trans Lifeline, which is North America's only 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week hotline. It's been around. It's been in existence since 2014. It was started complete. It was started 100% by trans people, and its entire staff of personnel are all trans people, and it's dedicated to helping transgender folks in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, and. It's great to be here, to be a part of this great discussion. Thank you, Maya. Thank you, Nadia. Let's have, let's have a good discussion. And for those of you who probably have not heard this discourse before from trans people, we urge you to come in with an open heart and an open mind. And we urge you to come with open ears as well. Listen to what we have to say, because in many ways, this discourse is rarely heard in the popular media too often. It's cisgender people talking to other cisgender people, usually negatively, about trans people. Well, here you have two trans people who are not only trans people, we're also competitive athletes. I'm a competitive cyclist, a competitive triathlete. I also play softball and flag football. I've played sports my entire life, and like I said, I've been covering sports for almost 30 years. So I understand sport, and I understand my truth. And I, I look forward to sharing them both with you in this forum. Thank you very much, Kali. And Nadia, if we can go with you to yep. introduce yourself. Of course. Uh, yeah. 
I'm Nadia. I've been playing volleyball since I was about 13 years old. So, yeah, a couple of 20 years. Um, and uh, right now I'm a coach in uh, playing volleyball. Um, a club that's very, very LGBT friendly. Um, so that makes it a lot easier because um, some might know trans people can get a lot of hate in the sporting world. Um, so it's important to have places like this. I'm also uh, <laughs> the secretary of uh, the organization called the uh, Transpersona in Denmark. <clears throat> it's just, um, an organization who does community work um, and sets up um, days when we can uh, meet and have some social arrangement. Um, and we also do some work with uh, rights and in the healthcare department and in other areas as well. And then um, I'm also second chair in an organization called Lens Training for Transmen and Transcreener. Uh, and we primarily focus on the healthcare business um, because for those who don't know it, uh, it's really atrocious how we are treated in Denmark, uh, healthcare-wise. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done there as well. Um, which is why it's quite sad that this debate over trans people in sports are so um, much in the media because it drowns out all the other important areas that we also need to talk about relating to trans people. And not that I mind talking about it because it's really interesting for me, but actually most trans people don't even do sports. So, so this, uh, like that we talked about on the podcast as well, this is used as a rich issue to, yeah, to basically drum up hate against trans people. Uh, and that's what this discourse is used to the most. Because when you look at results, um, then trans people are not dominating at all. Um, we are hardly even um, competitive um, in the elite sports. Um, so it's hard to understand why this discussion gets so hot all the time. Mm. Um, and like I said, for those who follow me on Twitter, <laughs> I said this a lot of times, it really irritates me that this seems to be so important for all people, but they always only focus on how it affects cis people. They never focus about how it affects us when they talk the way they do about trans people. And personally, I get very um, depressed sometimes when I follow this discourse in the, in the discussion. Um, I just had a couple of weeks where I really didn't want to do this discussion because, yeah, it really brought, brought me down. But... Yeah, that's why things like this is very good, so we can talk about things without being told that we are men, that we are men in dresses, that we are physically, uh, mentally ill, and all the other prejudice that is against us. So, yeah, absolutely. And just for just for the record, both Carly and Nadia are part of this podcast. Sorry, I'm just showing you here. It's uh, our Cybernaut and his podcast, Kunstkriene. Uh, Sorry. Uh, and you can listen to it. It's out today. It's called De Handler Egam Sport. So it's translated to this is not about sports. And that's actually a direct quote from Carly uh, on the podcast where she said, well, actually, the, the discussion and the debate about trans people uh, in uh, elite sports is not actually about sports. Um, and we'll get back into that uh, a little later. You can listen to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And I recommend it. It's these two amazing women and also a very smart other woman called Trine, who has a podcast about forgotten female athletes. Uh, and while the focus is on trans people in sports, 
Republicans are also moving in to remove abortion rights in a lot of states. They've already done it in Texas. There are abortion bills coming in a lot of other states as well. And somehow the media doesn't really see this because they are so focused on trans people in sports, an issue that's so little that it shouldn't even be mentioned in most uh, Yeah, they should probably mention Via Thomas because it was amazing that she won. But the focus is on is in another place and they forget that Republicans don't just hate trans people, they hate yeah, basically all people that isn't a white male, <laughs> to say the least. And so we all need to be aware of this because they won't stop at trans people. They will go after LGBT people. They will go after women. They will go after us all if we don't stop them. And sports is just the first battle. The next, if we lose this one, the next one will be bathrooms. The next one will be toilets. The next one will be changing rooms in department stores. We already see it in England. We already see it in, in the US. And I'm not so naive that I don't think it will come to Denmark as well if we don't set our foot down now. Um, and speaking of Denmark, I'll just uh, share this uh, little tweet with you. And Carly, maybe Nadia can help you translate it. I just think it's it's interesting that uh, that we've seen this type of discourse in Danish politics as well. This is a, a, a spokesperson from one of our big uh, uh, the big parties in Parliament who posted this after one of Leah Thomas's wins. And Nadia, uh, do you care to translate? Yeah, uh, it's basically just a motorcyclist who identifies as a cyclist, wins yet another victory and sets a new record. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually saw in relation to this, a lot of Danish politicians also saying like, she shouldn't have won that medal and that medal should be taken from her. Uh, because <laughs> it's again, it's again back to this. And we oh, see Leah Thomas I, behind you, Carly. It's, it's like... <laughs> it's, actually, I, Maya. Yeah. And there's a, that, and that there's a reason. Yeah, what was that, Gomenalia? Yeah, yeah, that wasn't even after she won uh, the national championship. That was after the... Ivy League championships with yeah. only eight schools. <laughs> so it's so, even more insane. <laughs> exactly. But it's like it's I just wow. think it's interesting, like this idea that you coming back to what you said, Nadia, this language about identifying kind of splits it up and say, you know, identify however you want, but uh you really are this, like there is an essence to you. And I think that also comes back to, like you say, lack of knowledge on what transgender people are, but also what rules there are in terms of who can compete yeah. in in uh, in women's sports? So maybe just clarifying up a few mistakes around that. Uh, can you just like circle around that just for a little bit because there are actual rules. I mean, you can't just uh, walk in and say like I want to compete here. Um, no, no, no uh, you can't. There's a lot of people, especially in Denmark. I think it's probably the same in the US. Who thinks you can just say, okay, now I'm a woman, then I can compete in women's sports. But that's not how it works. I mean, the, of course, there could be some sports where yeah, physicality doesn't really matter. But I'm not going to deny that before my transition, I would have had an advantage over, over women athletes. Of course I did. Uh, but, but that's why we have the rules about the uh, hormone treatment before you can compete. And um, it's really weird. <laughs> It's both funny and sad, actually, to see all these people talk about, oh, but it, hormone treatment does nothing. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you are hormones for three, seven, ten, eight, 20 years. And I'm sitting here after two years of hormones, and I can't even lift half as much as I could before. I, I mean, and it's, it's the same for a lot of trans people in this discussion. We know that it's simply not true 
Um, our body changes so extreme much when you lose when, when all testosterone is removed from the body and you do replace it with estrogen. So much happens, and yeah, it's really it's really sad to see even politicians go for this because they should be they should be no better. And the same with journalists; they should know better as well. <laughs> What are your thoughts here, Kaya? <laughs> is it like I'm still. I'm still wondering who exactly elected Mads Fuglede anywhere to any legend. How did this? How did this person get elected anywhere? And I find it interesting that an elected official first would even would even care about American collegiate swimming. I only thought the the only European who really cared about it was Posey Parker because she she and her. And her merry band of turfs and transphobes actually jumped, bought tickets, jumped on a plane, flew to Atlanta for our national championship just to protest it and harass Leah Thomas for five days. And this, just, this to, is just a note: Who is Posey Parker? To people who don't Posey, know, Posey we'll feature Parker in the like, podcast as well. So you'll Posey know Parker the is the Uber turf. I mean, <laughs> she she's like, well, that's that's like her nom de plure, is it? Where her real name is. Uh, is Kelly Jean Keene. And I'm not sure what exactly Posey Parker's a pen name or something else, but she and a group of and a group of other turfs in the UK flew over to Atlanta, bought tickets, went into the venue and protested. Protested outside the venue and essentially and whenever Leah was in the pool, whenever they saw Leah by the pool, they heckled her, they booed her, they called her a man, and they harassed her. It was it was horrible that people would fly four or five thousand miles across the Atlantic to harass a college kid. And that's one of the reasons why I have Leah behind me, is because they may not give Leah her love, but I will. I was proud. To watch Leah Thomas swim, I was proud to see her compete. I was proud to see her become the first transgender student athlete in the highest division of the of college athletics, our large schools division in my country, win a national championship. And I really also want to just note, turning back to our friend Mads, Mads, I'm I'm very ashamed that I think that. I think that I find it very interesting that you are saying these anti-LGBTQ sentiments, and by extension, that's what they are, in your nation's national assembly, and you're doing it in a nation that was the first in the world to recognize same-sex marriage, and one of the first in the world to allow gender marker changes without a clinical diagnosis. Denmark has been ahead of the curve. And I think Danes want to keep their country ahead of this curve for human rights. But but hearsay and hysteria like the ones you spread only embolden those who will want to turn the clock back to before 2014 and before 1989. And that's the real of this issue here. Games and sport are a small part of a bigger agenda for the people that are pushing this the hardest. Let's just circle back to uh, another person who's pushing that, um, Julie Bindle. So you mentioned uh, the, the TERFs, uh, which the podcast is about, like the TERF movement and how that moved into kind of the gender, wider gender critical movement. Uh, but Julie Bindle is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, and she's also an anti-sex worker feminist. She was actually here once to protest uh, 
um, sex work in Denmark as well. So uh, there's an interesting podcast on that as well. But she kind of says like, you know, Laurel Hubbard is the beginning of the end of women's sports. And, and to say like, you know, does Julie Bindle, first of all, care about women's sports in general? And did Laurel Hubbard then end women's sports in her uh, Olympics run? No, of course she didn't. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Julie Bindle has even watched sports because if she did, then she would know that weightlifters actually do look big. Uh, they do. They have to have a lot of muscle mass to, to lift the things they do. And actually, the Chinese woman, I can't remember her name, but that won the Olympic medal in the same uh, competition that uh, Laurel was in, she lifted more in her free tries than Laurel has ever lifted even before her transition. So so why not lift the, that accomplishment up? It is an amazing accomplishment by the Chinese woman. Why do we focus so much on a trans woman who ended last and didn't even, uh, or how do you say it in English? Uh, she didn't even get a try. Recognized. She, did, she didn't even get a lift oh, to record. Exactly. While Lee Wen Wen set a world record, but we missed that. And you should have seen the you should have seen the press conference after the medal ceremony when you had these three, you had the three medalists, gold, silver, bronze. One of them set a world record. The great Lee China's great Lee Wen Wen, who yeah. is pound for pound one of the strongest women in history, and all they asked about was was. Laurel Hubbard, Laurel Hubbard, Laurel Hubbard. And you could just see the looks on their faces like you took away their moment. And Nadia, that's exactly what you're talking about. Mm, exactly. We're taking, yeah, we're taking away the moments of some great athletes because there is a, there is a truth that transphobes try to sell you. And it's two things. These two statements that they try and sell, both of them are false, but they try hard to sell it to you. The first is trans women aren't women. And the second is cisgender women are a nifted sport. They're both false. Julie, Julie Bendel sells it. This is an example of how she sells it. The idea that Laurel Hubbard ends women's sports. Uh, just a note, Julie, uh, last night our professional basketball league in the United States for women had their draft last night, their college draft. Um, we, just had our, we just had a number of our college sports have championships for women. Women's sports not going anywhere. Hashtag just saying. <laughs> so let's get back to that actually, because some of the um, there's there's two things in there, right? Both the idea that any trans woman, uh, because they portray them as men, will always beat any cis woman, which is patently like obviously false, also mm -hmm. just from what we've seen. Um, but also kind of ignores the actual uh, like you know, other female athletes and their performances. So what are, what are some of the, the issues that are actually affecting female athletes? I know that that's something that you both care about and also our mm -hmm. other guests on the podcast cared about. Yeah. Oh, if, I, if I just might add to what Carly said, um, because it's not only at the Olympics, we saw the, the Leah Thomas when in the national championships for swimming, there were no fewer than 28 records in that, uh, in that session. And people only focus about Leah Thomas, who was nine seconds behind the record in the 500 yards. But but why why don't why don't they lift uh, the cis people cis women up, who actually done extremely well uh, in this? And and it's because they don't care about sports. It's not about sports, like Carly said. They don't care. Uh, women's accomplishment is not uh, 
highlighted in the media. It's not seen in the media. At most, we hear, here in Denmark, we hear about uh, our national football team and our national handball team uh, for women. And that's about it. And, and we have so many great athletes in many, many other areas, but they don't get any airtime. We don't never hear about them. And it's the same in the U.S. Um, actually, some of the women basketball players from the WNBA, the women's equivalent to the NBA, are some of the most gifted athletes in the world. And you hardly hear about them in Denmark. I only know about it because uh, Trine, who's also in the podcast, uh, tweets about them. Otherwise, I wouldn't even know they existed because we don't see them in the media. Um, and that's something, as a, if the media wants to discuss trans people in sports, they also need to focus on the cis women in sports. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, then it's just hate, to be honest. So that's interesting because I did a little media digging. So we have a database called InfoMedia, and this is from Denmark. And this is how many articles mentions Laurel Hubbard, 413 in the, in the last year, Leah Thomas, 110. Uh, Emily Bridges, and we'll get back to her. She's a, a, a cyclist from the UK, and uh, she's the next big moral outrage that we're going to see here. We're already seeing a lot of articles about her. And then I searched for a legislation on transgender kids in the US, and there were 34 articles about that. So I think that also just shows like how much focus this has compared to a lot. And I guess you could probably look at the same. Let's look for some of our actual athletes in Denmark and see how much news coverage the, the women get there. But I think this just circling back to what you're saying is happening while there's all this moral outrage about sports that does not get any significant media attention here in Denmark. And that just really has me. Nadia, why worried. is that? <laughs> why? Why? Uh, yeah. Uh, now you mentioned the daily fail. Um, <laughs> let's just say we have some equivalent here in Denmark. <laughs> uh, to say, yeah, yeah we do. Um, Actually, I would say um, Denmark's Radio, which is uh, the biggest national um, TV station in Denmark, they are usually very problematic in this because when they reported on Leah Thomas, they never showed any contest context. Um, in the in the one article they made about it, they said that she beat two Olympic swimmers. Actually, it was free, but that doesn't even matter because what they didn't mention in the here in the headlines, it, it stood in a single line in the article was that neither of them was competing at that distance at the Olympics. Um, so, so why even mention it in the, in the headline? Because it doesn't matter that they were at the Olympics because it was not a distance. But that's one thing. Um, the other thing is um, they didn't mention that she was nine seconds after the record in college. They didn't mention that two high school girls actually swim faster than, than Leon 500 yards this year. Um, and, I can't give you an answer on to why. Um, personally, I think a lot of sports journalists is just uh, lazy, um, to say the least. They see some article in a yeah, Daily Fail, uh, someone else uh, in the Republican media, and then they just copy-paste it into Danish um, because it's the exactly the same wording in the Danish articles. And it, it makes me so mad because why don't they do just a little bit of research? They could have made a perfect, well-documented uh, article um, and then they would have shown what was the truth about Leah's performance. And Leah's performance, while good, was not outstanding in any way. Um, yeah, it was outstanding this year because there was, <laughs> but had she competed in 2019, she would only have placed third in the international championships. And people just forget this. Uh, she wasn't dominating in any way. Um, 
they also forgot to mention that he only fin finished five in the 200 yards and eight in the in the 100 yards because that doesn't fit the narrative that goes on in the media these years. Um, and I don't know, that, that's, sadly, we, we imported the moral panic from the US and the, the, the UK here to Denmark as well in the media. Uh, yeah, I can also say that just before this talk, we, uh, we had a spirited uh, interaction. Maybe he's watching uh, the, <laughs> the guy who was very uh, tweeted about this podcast and that you two were guests. And he was like, well, are we going to hear from the other side? Uh, and uh, I said, well, we are going to, in the podcast and here, we're going to be analyzing the kind of uh, anti-trans discourse and what people say about the concerns for fairness in women's sports, but we're going to give the mic to people who are not normally uh, represented in these debates, because that's another thing. And, and I know we talked about gear on the podcast as well, and I can just show which, which article it is that uh, we're talking about here. Um, just real quick... Let's see here. Where is the presentation? So it's like a DR. It's a DR article where it seems like you know they actually went uh, and did an interview uh, with a, a cisgender athlete who was upset about um, you know competing against uh, transgender athletes. And I, I know Carly, you do, you do a lot of debunking on this on the podcast as well. So I don't think we have to go into detail, but I just think this is an interesting example of. Uh, they did not interview anybody in this like very long article with video and the big Facebook video on it, but they did not interview any of the transgender athletes that are mentioned in the lawsuit that this uh, cis woman, Chelsea Mitchell, is uh, has done. So, um, Carly, I know you wrote that on Twitter as well, but you said like our nation's public broadcaster came to give a microphone to some, some transphobes. Can you just like elaborate a little bit on that without like... We don't have to get into I don't want to go too long, but no. to make the long story short, um, a message again to DR. You came to my country. In fact, you came to my state. The girl in that article is, in, is from my state. I'm from the state of Connecticut in the United States. DR came to my state, and they essentially did a commercial for an anti-trans hate group. In fact, um, one of our leading human rights lobbies in my country who tracks hate groups, that's what they do, termed the, the law firm, the Alliance Defending Freedom, who were engaged in a lawsuit representing that young girl and two other cisgender girls in my state against a lawsuit where they openly misgendered two young transgender teenagers, by the way, two young black transgender teenagers, of which I know, of both of them of which I know personally, they essentially misgendered them, called them every, called them so, called them everything other than their actual names, and made sure to call them man and boy at every opportunity. You basically gave that group free advertising with that with that story. And public broadcasters are supposed to act in the public interest. I'd like to. Add, I wonder is that in the is that in Nadia Jacobson's public interest as a citizen of Denmark? Is that in Trini's public interest? Is that in any transgender Dane's public interest for their public broadcaster to hand the microphone to American-financed right-wing transphobia? That's what that story was. Hmm. We elaborate on that story in the podcast, so I don't want to go too deep into that. But you also mentioned that uh, the two uh, transgender individuals in this lawsuit 
our uh, our young uh, women of color, and we don't get uh, we got into that a little bit in our interview, and I'm going to put that later in the podcast as well. But there are also um, some issues of uh, racism that often gets overlooked, and, and in this case particularly, but also. In a case like, for instance, uh, Casta Semenya and other uh, athletes that are not European, where this like, oh, they're not real women, they're men posing to win medals, is often weaponized against uh, women of color in particular. Uh, and and I know that you have uh, something to say about this, Carly and Nadia, but you probably also have that as well, how that has been weaponized uh, through the years as well, uh, not just now, but also earlier. Well, the, the whole Castor Semenya situation first, Wanted to point out, Castor Semenya is not transgender. She is a cisgender woman. But the rules under which she has been demeaned and essentially denied her due human rights. And those same rules that denied Duti Chand her due human rights. Indian, Indian sprinter who successfully sued World Athletics over the issue. And also were used against Namibian sprinters Christine Mabuma and Beatrice Masalinge. Uh, in spite of that, Mabuma still managed to win a silver medal in Tokyo in the 200 meters, but she was left out of, but she wasn't allowed to run her best event, the 400 meters, because of the Castor Semenya rule. These things play out in many, in this case, these things play out because these governing bodies. And we're and this is all. This also plays out in the Emily and not so. I mean, less so in say the case of Emily Bridges, but it's the sim, But it's the same thing. These governing bodies often put the full weight of their legal stature and the full weight of regulatory stature on people who are perceived cannot fight back. In this case, people in the global south. In the case of differences of sexual development, as World Athletics and the IOC officially term these matters because the castor semenya rule and similar rules like it the the restrictions the testosterone limits that are placed on women who are perceived to be with differences in sexual development the only time those rules have been applied have been against women who are either from sub-saharan africa or east asia castor semenya went through a treatment that no one should has to go through. And I believe that no European or North American athlete, I don't even think a woman of color from Europe, from Western Europe or North America would have been subjected to those indignities. I don't believe their federations would allow it, but it shows you the, the power dynamic in, involved here. And those same power dynamics come to play with trans athletes, as we see in the situation with Emily Bridges, where British Cycling said, you were legal to compete in the National Omnium Championship. You were legal to compete by every metric and every rule. Then all of a sudden, the UCI says, the UCI gets a little pressure from people like Posey Parker. And the next thing they say, uh, uh, let's, let's see, what regulation can we... Ah, here's one. She's still registered as a male. A clerical situation that you could clean up in 10 minutes, but instead, you make that your, you make that your reason for keeping her out. Because you don't want it, because you're so concerned about pressure coming from outside. So in effect, you, you, in effect, just like with Castor, you pick on the person you perceive cannot fight back. It's the, it's different metrics, but it, but it leads to the same conclusion that 
We can pick on the people we perceive have no power, and we can just do it at will. Hmm. Actually, uh, I can add a little bit to it because now Pali talked about we talked about caste, um, and, and that's a problem with intersex people because one of the reasons they actually changed the rule from um, chromosomal testing that they had before was because a lot of intersex people got banned because they didn't have uh, X, X chromosomes. They had either Y or some, some other Y variation. So that was at the Olympics back <coughs> in the day or in sports competitions? That, that, was, uh, that was the, the IOC. The big, uh, I think it was in 2004, they stopped. Oh, it was in 98, they stopped the chromosomal testing because it was essentially, a lot of these women didn't even know they were intersex. They had just grown up as cis women. They didn't even know they had another chromosomal uh, compulsion that than most cis women has. Um, so that's the reason why they actually stopped doing it. Um, and then with the Castor Semenya case, they actually started bringing it, bringing it back uh, in some way. Um, and then they say, if you have uh, XY carotide, as Castor has, then you need to have a testosterone level at, at the same level as uh, transgender women has. It was 10 in the fall and 800 meters at the Olympics, but they changed it to five nanomolecules instead. That that's what got cast. Up. Um, that's what the um, made it that she couldn't run in, in that distance. And the funny part is though that cast a while she was she was an exceptional athlete in any way, but she hasn't even broken any records as well uh, world records. She was she wasn't actually even close. So you have to wonder why. Are we so focused on this testosterone rule when it doesn't even show um, a big uh, competitive advantage in, in intersex women? Because actually, these uh, levels, if you just make them for trans women, you could set them to one nanomole per liter, and it practically wouldn't eliminate any trans people from competition because we're way under that. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people think that uh, they they kind of feel that this is instinctively true. And then when you try, when you kind of challenge them on it, they will kind of re retroactively patch that up and go look for studies that say that, yeah, trans women have a huge advantage in sports. Um, but are there actually studies showing that? I mean, I know a lot of people, like, they, they like to quote a lot of studies, but mm -hmm. what is like, what is the science here? Yeah. And that's actually one of the biggest problems is there isn't any good science about this. Um, there's a few studies that have done it pretty well, but then still made some errors uh, in the way. Uh, one of the big things that is with uh, these studies that is done is that they're usually with very few people. Um, and you practically never have a control group. Um, when you look, go and look at the studies and see how they were conducted, um, it's quite hard to find out how they selected sel uh, the participants. So you don't know if there was any bias when they pick the participants. Um, and then we get to the next problem is that they compare cis men to cis women. Um, and, and the problem with this is um, studies even show that trans women has less muscle mass to begin with uh, before we even transition than cis men. So it's, yeah, I wouldn't say it's deliberate misinformation, but it ends up being misinformation when they, does this, when they do this. And then this, the last thing, and this was ex especially with the Emma Hilton and Tommy Lundberg uh, study. Oh, not the bug lady. Uh, <laughs> the bug lady. 
they made they made a meta study uh, on a lot of other studies um, that compare five foot ten trans women to five foot four cis women, um, and they didn't write it in the conclusion or the anywhere in the study. So people get this idea that these two groups are totally comparable that they that they are making the the com- ah. That they are, what's the name in English? Comparing. Uh, and there really isn't because you need to have two groups at the same height if you want to to compare uh, how they do athletically. Because, yeah, there are sports where height plays an advantage. Of course, there's. I play volleyball. Height is a huge advantage in volleyball. Uh, but what you have to remember is the tallest cis women is also going to be the ones who are successful in volleyball um, at the net. And people always say, oh, you grew up as a man, you got testosterone, you got male puberty. Of course you have an advantage. But actually, uh, I'm five foot eleven, and that's pretty much the average height of a female volleyball player. Um, so even there, I don't seem to have an advantage in my sports. Actually, I probably had a disadvantage before <laughs> I transitioned because I was so much lower than the other good players on my team. Um, and 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 this is what there is with the studies. They don't really compare to comparable groups, um, and and that's a big problem because people always take them in and they forget they forget to mention that it's not two comparable groups that are actually made in these studies. Even um, yeah, now we return to DR. Uh, they have a reporter. He's not there anymore. Uh, called Michael Stein. Hmm. Really transphobic idiot, to say the least. No, I didn't say that. Redacted. <coughs> oh, yeah, he, fine. Um, he made an article about the Air Force uh, study that was made, who con- who looked at how um, transition affected trans people in the Air Force, trans women in the Air Force. And still, it's not a big study. It was, uh, I think, it was thirty-four or thirty-nine. I think forty-six. No, what is trans women? Yeah. yeah, and. He looks at the at the results after one year, and then he uh, concludes that trans women still have a huge advantage after one year. The only problem with that conclusion is that the person who did the study, the scientist that did the study, wrote that this study can in no way be used to conclude that trans that trans women have an advantage in sports. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing. After two years, that difference in strength, which is often used as the most important difference between trans women and cis women by those who want to eliminate us, there was no difference in strength. There was this difference in how fast they could run uh, a mile. Um, but then again, people who are taller usually run faster and longer in a shorter time to distance. And that didn't, that wasn't clear in their study how that was made. And, and then it's just all these studies, they don't really, yeah, there's a lot of problem with these studies, let's just say that. And the problem is the people use them to say that trans women have a huge advantage. And, but it's not good science, to say the least, to conclude that because even the, even the notes in these studies say that we need more data to conclude this. And people always forget to mention this 
when they use these studies as proof. And that's the red alert klaxon, which means we have to take a break and give love to our sponsors. But when we come back, more from this conversation, including getting some comments and questions from our audience. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and we continue our discussion with our friends at Talktown Copenhagen. The conversation turned to the latest story in trans inclusion in sports, the debate over Emily Bridges. Let's listen in. Also, now we talk about Emily Bridges, and maybe I can circle back to you, Carly, as well. It also feels like there is a lot of pressure to come to specific conclusions. Like even when a sports union say, yes, you can ride as a cyclist. And then suddenly they turn around after the prime minister of the UK goes in and adds pressure. Like how realistic is it that there will be good science made on, on this? If, if we can just... Go on, Emily. Yeah. Go on, Emily. Emily Bridges. She was actually followed by scientists and scholars from Leicester University. And they concluded that her output, which is the most important factor for a cyclist, um, fell 13 to 16 percent. Mm-hmm. And people might think that's not a lot, but the the difference between a male uh, man um, cyclist and a woman cyclist is 10 to 15 percent. So she actually probably lost more than what's actually the difference between the two groups. So when people see that she was excluded, then she say, oh, that's, that's the good, that's the right thing, because of course she has an advantage. She's a trench woman, of course she has an advantage. Then you tell them, no, this, she was studied for the whole first year of her transition. And they clearly say that she lost the output that was, that is different between male and female cyclists. And then, yeah. The, yeah, then the moral panic comes and British Cycling um, and the UCI they panic and then they need to find a rule to exclude her and then afterwards they exclude all trans women and then they say we need to to form a commission and look at this and yeah, you know that no trans people is going to be asking this uh, commission, they're only going to ask uh, Turks and trans folks and, yeah. Just like world rugby yeah. That's what that's what you're gonna have because that was the world rugby situation mm-hmm. and and that's another thing with all the with a lot of these a lot of these studies for example what world rugby did was say they compared cis men to cis women and concluded that trans women would trans women would lead to twenty to thirty percent more injuries if you let them in women's rugby basically they just call trans women men remember mm-hmm. gotta call trans gotta call trans trans women are not women cisgender women second sports that's what this is about. The thing about Emily Bridges that really sticks to me is is essentially, like Nadia just stated, that the whole idea that it took outside pressure for the turfs, the transphobes, the British media, um, Bo- Bojo the Clown, as I like to call their prime minister, um, that led to the decision that they made. And the thing about Emily Bridges is, like I said, the University of Leicester followed her. She's a part of the Joanna Harper study at um, Lonsborough. 
also in the UK, where they're literally taking all the data from trans athletes around the world. I'm going to be submitting my data to it. I mean, granted, my data is going to be far below elite level, but <laughs> <laughs> but the but the thing is, most of these studies have nothing. Don't don't even trans people are not even taken into account in the studies. They're not taken into account. By these boards, you very you rarely have trans people in at the table in these rooms where these decisions are being made. Um, as I since you were talking about the little Twitter exchange that I had prior to <laughs> us joining here, you had a person that said, "Well, why isn't there why aren't there cisgender athletes here talking about the other side?" And you know what? I want to answer that person, sir. I've had to sit through thousands of hours of, of, of a cis person talking to other cis people about me. And it's on issues that are far beyond sports. I literally have cisgender people debating my life every day. Rarely do, you, do most cis people hear from trans people about the realities of our lives. What Nadia just said is very... Is, that is true across our whole experience. Um, for me, I know my numbers have gone down. I can see it every time I look at my Garmin Connect <laughs> that my numbers drop. I see that every. I see that my mile time's not the same. I feel it in my recovery times. I used to be able to run a half marathon, take a day off, be good the next day. Now that that day off turns into three or four days. Mm -hmm. The recovery times are different. Um, Trust me, estrogen works. It really does. A and but that also goes back into the other thing. And I know we want to get questions, and I hope people have questions because yeah, I, please bring I, the I, questions yeah. on. We'll bring just the keep questions talking Dan. and questions. My, let them. My Come thing on. is, is there seems to be this idea that and and you're really seeing this with Emily Bridges. And with Emily, it's going to be a special case because people don't realize, number one, Emily Bridges is a very talented cyclist. This was a person before transition who set junior male records in Britain, was a part of their National Olympic Development Academy. But here's the thing. We don't do this to win a game. No one transitions for that. I have... My transition was because I needed to be myself and I needed to feel whole. That's why, that's why I lost some friends. I had some family who struggled with it. And that's why I go through the things I go through in the society I live in, which where, and where most of my country, um, I'm afraid to travel in it now because of the climate. All that was worth it for the fact that when I get up in the morning, I feel whole with myself. When I tow a starting line, when I when I clip in those pedals, I really represent myself for the first time. And I represent me as me authentically and I come into that space as me and it feels so beautiful. And it feels beautiful to compete that way, to live that way, to be me. That's why we do it. Yeah. Thank you. I think we have a oh Nadia, do you want to oh, say something? No, and then no, I have we have a question. But yeah, I can I can, only, I can only echo what what Carly said. Um, it's the same. Actually, I would say one of 
the few things that actually kept me alive because I have really been ridden with with suicidal thoughts through my my whole life since puberty actually. But but that was volleyball. It was one of the few highlights of my life. It was the only thing I was looking forward to every every week. But even now that I'm myself, I can actually feel that I enjoy it even more than I did before. Um, because I don't have all the other thoughts in my head. I can just focus. I can play volleyball. I can just enjoy it. It's it's a whole other experience. And I don't think people know how much it actually means for us to be able to do that. So when people say, oh, they just, they just changed gender so they can win at sports. <laughs> oh. It's just people don't know how difficult a life is if they actually think that. Um, and more people really need to know that. So. That's one of the reasons we're doing this uh, this live stream. And thank you for sharing that with us. I know it's it's very like it's a hardcore thing to to share online publicly. Um, we have a question from Amelia. Uh, and actually, that's on my list as well of stuff to talk about. Why don't we hear about trans male athletes or non-binary athletes, for that matter? Uh, I have an idea, but I'd like to hear it from you. Yeah. I'm curious what their idea is. Yeah. I'm curious. <laughs> so, uh, and what someone else is saying, right, trans men in general are never talked about. There's yeah. a reason for that. It's that's by design. design. Maybe you can answer, Carly. Do you want to go no, first about that? No, or? simply put, it's by design. You see, transgender men make a lousy villain for anti-trans people to sell the monster, what I call the monster movie. Because there's this idea that basically trans women are, it's like trans athletes versus women. It might as well, they might as well call it Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla because <laughs> there was this idea that Laurel Hubbard was going to rise out of Tokyo <laughs> Bay and eat up Tokyo and destroy women's sports. That's, and trans men don't sell that narrative. In fact, I've heard from many rather transphobic people that, oh, we don't like trans women, but if trans men compete because after all, they used to be, they're females who are now men. That's okay because they're always at a disadvantage, which is not, which is completely false. And it's completely, it's based uh, once again on the tropes of transgender people made by cisgender people that are untrue. But here's the interesting thing about that. The most decorated trans athlete on the planet is a transgender man. A guy named Chris Mosier, probably heard of him. Had a Nike ad. Has, was, the first, was the first transgender athlete in my country to make a national team in my country. And there's also people like Patricio Manuel and, and Verity Carl Smith who performed at a really high level. In fact, Patricio Manuel was so good in his first pro fight that now no other cisgender fighter wants to touch this guy. Come on, uh, just to know, uh, if you're a flyweight and you're looking for a fight, Patricio Manuel would like, Peter Manuel would like to talk to you. So let's sign a deal and get this done. But that's, but that's the thing. Trans men, and for example, in, in our national collegiate sport in my country right now there are more out transgender men participating than transgender women and that number is definitive mm. but people they don't talk about that because they're not the villain you you they're not the villain that works to sell the hysteria just to put it into perspective uh, when utah uh, completed the trans ban on 
in sports. Mm. There are was it twenty five or uh, seventy five or seventy eight thousand people playing sports in Utah in the collegial uh, level. There's three trans men and one trans woman. Mm. So it basically made a whole ban on trans women to exclude one person out of 78,000 people. Yeah. It's it's insane to to, to explain to you so much hate against one person mm. who barely even made the team <laughs> she was playing and, on. And that and that contagion is coming to a Denmark near you. It's coming to a France. It might come to a France near you if their elections go a certain way on the twenty fourth. I mean, it's already on. A, it's already at a Britain near you. Yeah. See, that's one thing people also have to realize is that what you're seeing in the United States, you may look and say it's those it's those crazy Americans again, but these groups like Alliance Defending Freedom, Family Resource Council, Focus on the Family, United States, these right wing Christian Dominionist anti-LGBTQ anti groups are funding efforts around the world on this issue. How do, look at who look at who the conserv, uh, who American conservatives are going to have their biggest their biggest political action conference. Guess where they're having it next month? They're having it in Budapest. It's a love fest for Viktor Orban. Mm. That's how far they're willing to go. And trust me, Posey Parker may be there. You can bet some members of the Tory party in the UK will be there. Some of your far right will be there. Oh, absolutely. And they're going to be currying some favor, and they might just be bringing home checks. Yeah. And those checks could be funding efforts to roll back yeah. the stride your country made in 2014 and in 1989. Again, that's what this is really about here. Yeah, and I think that's a really, really important point. Like, there are some people who are using this as an agenda. I mean, all like talks of sports and specifics uh, aside, uh, and and you, you, we talk about that in the podcast as well, Carly. You call that kind of, you know, the the transphobes playbook. That there is a specific mm -hmm. type of playbook to this. And you also mentioned this briefly, but maybe to people who don't know this, like. This was in 2017, there was a big meetup by some of these organizations in the U.S. where they specifically uh, like strategized, separate the T from the LGB, like go for the trans people first, because the rest of the LGBT community will withdraw from them. It was a political action committee of the Family Resource Council. When they got together in 2017, they wrote a white paper on it. And at their annual meeting, their national convention, they said, we'll tolerate those LGB people for right now. We really don't like them here, but we'll tolerate them. But, but we got to deal with this, quote unquote, transgenderism. We got to deal with that. And if we can separate those people from them and we can form the fissures in that alliance, once we get rid of the trans people, then, we can, then it's a lot easier for us to actually go after things like same-sex marriage and go after employment rights go after all those hard won rights among among lgbtq communities and not just in the united states why are american why are these american groups funding efforts like anti anti-trans bills in africa and asia why in the how in the world did victor orban get a big fat check for his election campaign from a group of American Bible thumpers. Mm -hmm. That's how and this is why. Because it's part of a concerted agenda that these people have 
to roll back these civil rights. And right now in my country, they're even you have people who who are funded by these groups who are now stepping out and saying, you know what, let's see how far we can go. We recently had a person who said that interracial marriage should be rolled back in our country, should be banned in the country. Um, there is there is a lot at stake here for the cause of human rights. And And one thing I do want to point out, we often, in the West, we often talk about Russia. I know a lot of people not liking Russia right now with good reason. And we talk about China and we talk about Iran. You know, it's easy to talk about, oh, they're throwing people, they're throwing gay people off buildings in the Middle East. It's easy to talk about that. But I noticed that that a lot of you lose some of that enthusiasm when people talk about anti-LGBTQ zones in Poland, when they talk about the number of laws that the Orban regime are passing in Hungary, when we're talking about the fact that Italy still doesn't allow saying doesn't allow marriage equality that France that one of the planks of Marine of Marine Le Pen political party is to roll that back you don't have that same sort of spirit for LGBTQ folks when we're talking about the inequities here in the West and I think I think it's time for us to that moral inequivalence has to stop mm. for me I need I need the same if you're gonna put that kind of intensity on Putin, put it on Orban, put it on Boris Johnson, and again, Formula One, put it on Florida and Texas. If you're if if you say you're gonna do something about Bahrain, Miss <coughs> Sir Lewis Hamilton, I hope you have that same type of enthusiasm for making a statement when you come to Miami in three weeks and when you come to Austin this fall. I think it's interesting that I've seen some takes even from like Danish conservative pundits. And we saw this from U.S. Uh, right wing pundits in the beginning of the uh, invasion, like the Russian invasion of Ukraine. There, there were takes that were a bit like, well, at least, you know, uh, at least he's not like uh, part of the gender ideology or at, at least, you know, the military is weak because they've started getting sensitivity training and using pronouns. So like. Like this idea that the West has been weakened by the gender ideology. I spoke to some uh, pride organizers from um, from a, a woman from Russia who is in, uh, has asylum in the U.S. because it's dangerous for her to be there, and and someone from Poland and Romania and Latvia, and they all said that by conservative politicians in their home countries, uh, like this. The uh, image of the West as being kind of corrupted by the gender ideology and and uh, the the queer people and the trans people is it's like a very powerful propaganda tool. But it, I just uh, and maybe Nadia want to speak to that as well. I just see it increasingly being used by Danish politicians as well that they talk about this like trans agenda and the gender ideology as if it's like uh, in in those kind of conspiracy theory terms. And even like actually quite mainstream uh, right wing politicians, like not far right only, but also like Liberal Alliance, for instance, Henrik Dale is saying, is talking about Kunstideologien as if it's an actual thing. Nadia, do you, <laughs> do you have something to say to that? Uh, let's just say Hen Henrik Dale is a ghoul. Period. <laughs> um, I don't even want to use any time on it because he doesn't know anything about this. Um, but one thing I do want to say in relation to this is, as Carly said, there's there's not really this fight um, and attention to the rights of LGBT people in in the Western countries, and we have the same problem in Denmark actually, because there is this lie that is being told, and that a lot of people actually believe 
that we already have equal rights in Denmark as well. And, and we don't. Um, we are pretty good, well in civil rights uh, in Denmark. That actually looks pretty good. But we are treated like third class citizens in the healthcare system. Um, and nobody wants to talk about it because, no, of course that doesn't happen in Denmark. Of course you have equal rights. Of course you are able to, to access healthcare as easily as anybody else. But we aren't. There's no other treatment in Denmark where you have to get uh, a psychologist to actually assess you and say, oh, you're transgender enough or you have enough gender dysphoria to actually receive treatment. That's actually how it is in Denmark. <laughs> For every- no, ex- expand on that a little bit. What? They're gatekeeping and de- gatekeeping? Yeah, but that, that's not only in Denmark. That's in all Europe that they do that. <laughs> uh, in in Britain, you can go to a private sector and 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 get it in, with informed consent, like you can in most states in the US. But in rest of Europe, it's gatekeeped. Uh, you you need the you need to be assessed by a psychologist before you can access healthcare. So. I wish it was. I wish it was in most states in the United States. Uh, actually, in many ways, in a lot of the country, gatekeeping is still very is still very much the norm. Mm, it is. It, it like for example, I'm. I'm privileged. I'm privileged in that, for example, the state I live in, the state I live in is mostly in, is mostly most most hospitals are informed consent. Now that still doesn't mean that there are other issues like you know people just don't know trans people. Um, even even the place I go and they're and they're really good and they've made a lot of great strides. I'm still kind of like I'm still kind of skittish. Like for example, let's just say ever since transition, I drive a lot slower now. <laughs> because I'm afraid of some EMT saying uh, it's against my religion to treat you when I'm bleeding after a car accident, which can which can happen in a number of states in the United States. So no, but it's like wow, hearing that is like wow, gate gatekeeping. It's like Coca Cola. It's everywhere in the world. <laughs> everywhere, just yeah. a little bit of a different flavor, but it's definitely yeah. everywhere. Yes. I'm just yeah. looking through the like. There's a lot of comments, and I'm seeing if there are any more questions. Um, oh, uh, hit some of the comments while you find. Uh, was interested. that was so? Uh, people are uh, saying. Um, uh, someone asked if there are rules about hormones in sport, and actually, another uh, viewer kindly answered that yes. In my sport, a doctor needs to send a letter with my testosterone level for 12 months. I need to go through this process each July. I think we also touched upon that a little bit, and we also get into it in the podcast. Uh, but yes, there are uh, levels for uh, hormones. And someone else said, I lost about 10 kilos of muscle mass on HRT in a year. Uh, Laura pointed out that uh, the disinfo on Leah Thomas also used a pre-transition photo of her, uh, two pre-transition photos of her, actually. And then Klaus asked, was that Ulrich Thompson, the actor agreeing with Brian? And yes, it was. It was a famous Danish actor, Ulrich Thompson, making jokes about uh, how Leah Thomas uh, transitioned in order to win medals in in the the women's uh, category, which is, of course, false. Uh, Another comment, Alana McLaughlin, uh, MMA fighter, offered to take on Joachim B. Olsen in a fist fight, if need be. He's a Danish uh, politician, former. What is he, Nadia? What was his sport? Uh, it's uh, it shot I don't know what it's called in English. Anyway. I like it. I don't know if Alana, I mean, I kind of know Alana kind of well. I don't know if Alana actually challenged him, but all I can say is I don't, I don't care if you were a shot putter. You, that smoke you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> for reasons. 
a lot a lot of McLaughlin is 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 that's a bad woman right there. You do not want to approach at your own risk. <laughs> but, exactly. but that but that's an example. But but what she's gone through since her debut last September is an example of what we're talking about. For example, there were pictures of her just before her fight with um with um Celine Provost, where there are people saying, look at look at the look at the huge trans fighter towering over the little cis girl. Yeah, except for one little thing. <laughs> except for one little thing. Alana is shorter than Celine Provost. <laughs> but it's a classical thing, right? In all these memes and yeah. these images, they'll they'll either like misrepresent who's the trans woman, or they'll like, for instance, we also discussed this night here, they'll take a photo of Laurel Hubbard and not show other weightlifters, and they're like, oh, look how masculine it's like. Do you know how weightlifters look? I mean, you have well, to be huge because you have to you protect that? your organs, you know? And and they did the same with Alana. Uh, yeah. Basis. And actually, they, they did the very same with uh, Leah Thomas. <laughs> so they do it all but the that, time. But, but that's another thing. That's the patriarchy. Mm. Yeah, we're going to get a little feminist right here, right now. <laughs> There's a, that's the patriarchy. That's what that is. Page, that, that is an example of the patriarchy work that a woman must look a certain way. A woman must must comport in a certain manner, and that basically, and that's that's the one reason why I can't stand the Daily Fail because of what the Daily Fail did. And this is a perfect example that really points this out. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania over the Christmas break, late last year, they went down to Florida and trained as a team for a couple of days. A lot of swim teams up north do that during break. During that, during the holiday break in the season, they get together, they go down to like a warm weather climate, and they train, and it's kind of a team bonding thing for a few days. Well, when Penn went down to Florida, the Daily, Fa the Daily Mail hired a photographer, and that photographer used a nice little long-range telephoto lens, basically hidden the bushes, and was taking paparazzi spy photos of Leah Thomas and her teammates. Now, these are college-age women in bathing suits. Now, Maya, creepy if, behavior. Yeah, Maya, you should see the look on your face right now because it because that per, because I mirror it. It's creepy and it's prefer. I mean, if if it was just if it wasn't about if if you take away the press and the story and just said somebody went down to Florida with a camp with a high power camera with a good lens and was taking pictures of college girls in their bathing suits. What would you think about that photographer? You'd probably say they were a perv and they were creepy and they need to be arrested. That's what the Daily Mail did. And part of that is because it's okay. it seems to be this thing with, with trans... I mean, and also there's the allegation she doesn't cover up in the locker room and all these other things. But that's an example of just not just in sport, but in, but in life, as trans, especially as transgender women. People feel the need and feel they have the right to speculate about our bodies, mm -hmm. speculate about how we look. I don't. I went. I did a TV. I did a TV um, appearance a few weeks ago, and afterwards I read the comments, and that's transgender oh, rule never number one: never read the comments. But oh. I did, and there are people talking about how I'm a man wearing lip gloss with a cheap wig. I'm a or or my favorite: you're just a boy in a frock with bad hair, and you look like a man, 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 man. I've had, the, I've had people say these things to my face. I've had these people say these hurtful things, not just in the comments, but out in public. 
I've had I've had these things happen, and it just like since people feel the need, or and some people feel they have the entitlement to ask me invasive questions like, "Have you had the surgery?" Things like that. And the sports thing is where, and this sports issue is where it really was really came out. I mean, Leah has gone through some ugliness by not just by average people in the comments but by media people like Tucker Carlson who should know better. Mm. And those, th I mean, these are the things that really stick to me even more than the issue itself and the politics behind it and mm. the legal ramifications, but it's just person, but, it, but it's just personal. I mean, it's a, it, it was a, when Leah was taking those hits, it felt like I was taking them with her. When people feel the need to come onto my social media and say you're ugly and you're a man and you and you're a man and you're taking away women's spaces. I mean, that's like a punch in the stomach. Yeah, uh, actually, I talked about it earlier as well. As people don't realize how this debate actually affects trans people as well, yes. because this debate is so um, consistent, is so uh, hateful against trans people, and. Honestly, I understand if a lot of trans people don't want to do sports uh, when this debate comes up. Sometimes it even makes me wonder if I should stop playing volleyball. I know that's not the solution because <laughs> that would be that would be miserable if I did that. But sometimes the hate just gets so extreme that that we sometimes just want to give up, and, and people just don't realize this. We are not some evil people who wants to take over sports. We are just human beings like everybody else. And people seem to forget this when we discuss trans people in general and especially yeah. in sports. Oh yeah, but also in life. I mean, this is part of what I do. When I'm not when I'm not covering sports, I'm a peer support operator for Trans Lifeline. I get a lot of call I get a lot of calls from a lot of people, but the sports issue brings a lot of young people. I get calls from Young people in, in in North America, but also in Europe, also in Asia, who are looking at like the situation with Leah Thomas. And now I'm getting callers from the UK who are looking at Emily Bridges, and they're like, "I'm like I'm a little I'm a little trans girl, or trans boy in the mm -hmm. UK, and and my country hates me, or I live in I live in Texas or Tennessee, and and my and I can't be here because I can't transition here and I can't play here and people and I get bullied at school and teachers don't do anything about it. To all the people who who may feel that we are not talking about both sides here, you hear your side daily, minutely, on the hour. Go out and talk to your Nadias of to to your Nadias in your neighborhood and in your town and get the real story because this this is very it's difficult for all of us even in the quote-unquote enlightened democracies of the west this is hard forget all the other things for a second and just look in look to your empathy and look to your humanity i encourage you to do that i want you to do that i'm for example i'm open to conversations on my social media. I'm op I'm open to it. What I'm not open to is immediately coming at me with vitriol when you don't know and don't understand 
what it took to get here, what it took to get me here, the realities of my life. And the realities are, again, we don't do this to win a ball game. No one does. Emily Bridges is not doing this to win an Olympic medal. She's not living, she's not pursuing her truth because of what, because of getting on that bike. Getting on that bike is important to her and it's a part of it. But the main thing is being Emily Bridges and being who she is and being alive. I mean, Nadia said it. Sport kept her alive to get here. And it was the same for me. Sport for me, I've played sports my whole life. It's like, it's like oxygen to me. But transition is what I needed to do, not only to enjoy sports, but to just be here. Because for me, that was the choice. It was either do this, do this, or they're marking a gravesite. Mm -hmm. Those are the stakes. And I don't mind telling you that. Yeah. No, I think it's important for people to realize that. And it, it was the same for me. Um, I actually talked to a transman uh, earlier today, and he ended up blocking me because he somehow got in his head that transition is a choice. Um, and of course, in some ways, it might be a choice. But as I said to him, I actually chose to live. And if I want to live, I have to transition. It was either transition or death. There really was no choice here. I couldn't go on the way I did before. Yes. I could only go one way. So it wasn't a choice. And I definitely didn't do it to win in sports because I was not uh, successful in, in any way. I, I was an okay volleyball player. I played in the third, fourth best division and trained with them and played on the second team. And, and it was fun. That's not a life. You can't build a life only on that. You need more, and I needed more. And if I hadn't gotten more than just that, then I wouldn't be here today. A special thanks to Nadia Jacobson for sharing her story with me and being a part of the fight for change. And to Maya Kalka Lawrenson for doing what she does. And for, in a sense, opening the door to a lot of new friends I've met from Denmark. And that means I'm going to have to pull the passport out soon and make a trip over there and say hi to everyone in person. And when we do, I'm going to bring Transporter Room Nation along for the ride. And thank you for being a part of Transporter Room Nation. And if there's something you want to see or something oh, that you want to say about what I'm doing here, please leave a message on our Twitter page or our Facebook page, or our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward. Remember everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. Live long and prosper, and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week. <laughs>